The media is an incredible distribution tool. Most people just never use it that way. Create a website to help refugees find housing. One website tracking the coronavirus. Trusted globally. NCOV2019.live. Ukraine takes shelter. Whenever crisis strikes, people usually want to help. But all you can really do as a citizen these days is like donate money to some random organization yeah. or sign a useless petition. What do you want internet activism to look like? The largest humanitarian nonprofit in the digital space. When I die, we're going to be at the immediate end of reality. In the short bubble of consciousness that I'm alive, I don't want to be working on anything I'm not super passionate about. This tech is, is going to cause revolutions. Like, I'm super excited. It's going to be so much fun. We're like arming the rebels. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a year left to live, what would you be doing every day? Exactly this. So, Avi, thanks for coming on. For sure. Thank you. So I want to start off with something uh, a little different. You were on The Daily Show about two years ago. Yes, I was. So the day after or the day that video goes live, what was the response from your friends and family? I don't know how many of them honestly watched The Daily Show. And that show is so scripted too. Like the laughs and everything, it, it's scripted in advance. Like they plan it all. It's all completely planned. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's what we were thinking when, yeah, when yeah, we saw That, that was like the most awkward clip ever too. But The Daily Show is cool. Daily Show is cool? They're a cool team, yeah. Okay, so what was the process like kind of filming that remotely? Um, I mean, it was cool. Like, I mean, like for me, it's been like a few years. So I'll, like at this point, I just kind of like open up my laptop. You just talk to them for like five minutes and you just like close your laptop. Like virtual, virtual today sh or like virtual shows like that are not really that interesting sometimes. Like it's fun. It's fun to do the daily show. I mean, I guess people watch that, but like there is an aspect of like being in a studio like this. That's way more fun for an interview. So this is better than the Daily Show. I would, I would, I would say this is way more fun than the Daily Air Show. Air clip that. There we go. Two minutes in, already <laughs> like better it. than the Daily Show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Having like real microphones like this and stuff like, like I'm just like doing the Daily Show like with like terrible laptop camera yep. in my like living room. Like it's 100%. just not the same. It's like they didn't have that weird piece of art hanging on the wall next to you. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> we we don't know. And we don't, you can't it was see here before it we came home. here. Yeah, you Shaq's can't even got see some it. Crazy artwork too. Shaq's got some crazy artwork. Oh yeah. Let's talk about this mechanical heart. So you guys moved into Shack 15 recently. Yes, you guys meaning internet activism. Yep. So what is internet activism? That's a good question. Uh, internet activism, we're basically a nonprofit that develops software that maybe helps refugees find housing or protesters communicate offline and securely. Just kind of software that helps the humanitarian world. You know, most people just don't really see that as a place of opportunity, but there's like amazing work that you can do. That really helps people. When you say place of opportunity, do you mean for yourself or for it impact? Just, it just mean like in the software world, absolutely nobody develops like humanitarian software. But, um, you know, a lot of internet activism is based on the idea that people that are impacted by crisis, let's say natural disasters, wars, pandemics, whatever, they have smartphones, they have internet access. You can make these like web-based humanitarian tools and essentially instantly teleport it to their devices no matter where they are in the world. You don't have to worry about borders and geopolitics or anything like that. We're kind of like a, a digital Doctors Without Borders, if you could see it mm -hmm. that way. Um, it's it's pretty cool. Interesting. And so of all the things you could kind of do when you learn to code, why is it that you went into this? I mean, I used to be like a video game dev back in like middle school and early high school. I just kind of stumbled into web dev because I like it when people use my stuff. And the barrier to entry to use a website is so low. I mean, it's just a URL. You can go on like an Xbox even and go look at it, right? True. Um, I, I hate waiting for things to load. I hate downloading things. Even apps is like kind of annoying UX friction. So websites are just the easiest way to share your stuff over social media. You can just say a URL out loud. I can just say internetactivism.org and you can just go directly to that. Uh, what am I going to say? Like a, an, an app. Like it's just like not the same. 
Interesting. So to talk about websites for a bit, one of the things you did before internet activism was the viral website and COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I see, I kind of view that as internet activism. Um, That was kind of the start of all this stuff. So for context, uh, a few years ago when the pandemic struck um, in early January, I just noticed that there was this random epidemic of coronavirus and I was just trying to learn web dev skills by developing entire projects around like key concepts. So like APIs, I made a whole website around that. Web scraping, wanted to learn how to do that. Uh, just, you know, there were 51 cases in two Chinese cities and I was bored on a weekend, learned how to do web scraping, you know, went to Chinese government health department sites, took that data, uh, turned it into a nice live dashboard you can view on your phone. I mean, this, the domain for the website's terrible. It was like ncov2019.live, but the name COVID-19 did not exist back then. That just means novel coronavirus 2019. Oh, so you were that early? It was that early. Oh my God. It was like two months before it was even called COVID-19. This was early January of 2020. Oh. Okay? That's why the website was eventually used by over 600 million people. And we had a peak of over 36 million daily active users, wow. which is like really crazy to think about. I saw a stat that ChatGPT had like 12 million daily active users a while ago. Yeah. I'm like, nah, I had three times that. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> um, but it's truly the idea because like every single media outlet in the entire planet is talking about COVID-19. They're all looking for information. Everyone's looking for stats. And I had the nicest, well-designed, you know, works well on a phone kind of website. The colors are nice. There's no paragraphs of government jargon. It's just the information you need directly presented to you. Um, and I'm a big believer in like, if you develop something that's actually useful, it'll just spread on its own. Like mm-hmm. I had no marketing budget. There's no need for that. So then when you're thinking about like from a product perspective, how do you decide what's actually useful? Just take a look around the world. There's always something happening. There's always some kind of natural disaster, war, pandemic. Um, right before I made that coronavirus website, if you remember around that time, there were the Australian bushfires. Yeah. So I had made like a watch OS app that would like buzz your wrist if there were fires nearby. Like there's always something happening around the world. Um, and there, I, I also like with the coronavirus website. So what inspired me to continue working on more projects after that is you can pretty much use the internet as a worldwide distribution medium to just like take these, I like to say it's like a web-based humanitarian tool and just kind of disperse that everywhere through social media, through media in general, like just everywhere. Um, and, and working on the COVID site and seeing how far and how fast it could really spread to that many people all over the world um, inspired me to just like continue working on projects like that. So there's, there's a lot of other projects I made prior to the internet activism being founded in like October of last year, I believe. Like I even had a, uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests in, in I think 2020, I had a website where you could like go on the website, enter in what state you're in, see like where and when protests were happening near to you, oh, wow. things like that. And like that was used by over 500,000 people too. Um, How do you get users for all of these when you don't have a marketing budget? Uh, it's kind of just like building a platform and connections to reporters and, and whatnot. So like another project I made, um, Yes, it was last year. There was the war in Ukraine, largest refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. Uh, and I made a website where refugees could find shelter online. And mm-hmm. that helped house over 100,000 people. And that was a huge project. But like right when I launched that, I just called up a reporter I know from like international media outlets. It's in the media like that within 24 hours of launch. Um, and then millions of people are already looking at that and seeing it and signing mm-hmm. up as host families. Uh, the media is an incredible distribution tool. Most people just never use it that way. But if you know how to craft a story, you know what they're looking for in a headline, et cetera, and you build up a like a relationship with these reporters, it is the best marketing tool ever. It costs zero dollars and you have millions of people that looking at it. Mm. And also people like want to read news stories. Nobody wants to look at an ad, right? True. So it's a, super useful. So mm. when you're crafting the story to, or like the pitch to a newsletter or sorry, a news reporter, what are you including? Like what type of information? Uh, people have a lot of background of like why they develop things. That's usually the most like 
like people are looking for an emotional story, right? And you can usually find a lot of that in why you made this in the first place or what about your background or ethnicity or even religion or really anything about you caused you to have the kind of mindset to like develop a tool like this in the first place. And that makes for an interesting story. It's all, it's all a story. I mean, that's what an article is. It's a story. And um, a, a story is a lot more than just objective facts. Like, oh, I made this website. It has this many users and that's it. It's, it's like, how did your team come together? Uh, you know, where do you envision the future of this? Uh, you know, why are you interested in computers or things like that? Like it's, it's a story and you provide that to a reporter um, and then, you know, it's, it's an article. And, and if you think about it, especially local media, they're looking for tons of stories every single day. You just call yeah. them up and tell them something you're working on. You know, maybe maybe only 5% reach back, but like, who cares? Like, you just need one article and then it helps spiral into more and more. And like, that's how you go from 500 users to 500 million. And is that what you did for the COVID-19 tracker website as well? I mean, for the COVID one, honestly, all the reporters came to me though. But like for the Ukrainian one, I just built up those connections after the COVID site. And then I just call them up and be like, hey, and I have a new project. And they're like, sweet, we'll write about it. And then you just continue that again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And like every single time I launch something, I just call them up and like, that's the, the, the new story is very cringe. I'm sure you probably saw some of them like yeah. the headline. It's all ridiculous. It's like they're stupid little photos, but like you got to look past the cringe of that and just view it as a distribution tool. Sure. And, and uh, I view the media again, like completely as a tool, not really like it's, it's a neutral tool. Um, once you have like a few articles and stuff, it's, it's, way past like, oh, I'm in my local newspaper type of stuff. Like for me, I don't care at all about that. Like that's why you asked me about the daily show. Like by then I was doing eight to 10 interviews a day. It's just like one random, you know, talking thing. Like it's not really not a big deal. Mm. Um, and, and it's just, it's a tool to like, you know how many people watch the daily show, right? Like tons of people watch that. Sure. It's how you get more users is how, you know, more reporters will watch that. Be like, oh, that's a cool story. I want to cover that too. And it just spirals and spirals. Mm. Um, and, th- and that's how the coronavirus website became like one of the most popular sites of all time. It's, mm. it's a story. Uh, behind like the, you know, think about it. When I was in, I made that when I was in high school, I made it early on. There was all these like different reasons of why I made that like the story. People want to read stories. Yeah. True. Okay. So um, with internet activism specifically, what was the story you launched with? Was that, cause that was before the kind of Turkey, Syria. Uh, internet activism was launched in about October of last year. So the first like big project we released was probably takeshelter.org, which is kind of a, more slightly more advanced version of the one we had for Ukrainians last year. But what we're trying to do with that platform is make it more general and broad for any crisis. Cause like imagine if Ukraine take shelter existed prior to the war breaking out, we already had millions of people signed up as host families all over the world. Um, People already knew about our organization. They already trusted it. We already had those partnerships with the local humanitarian orgs on the ground. Then when crisis strikes and people are like, Oh shit, I'm displaced. I need shelter. They know immediately a platform and we don't have to work on distribution at all. Um, And it would be incredibly useful for, any kind of crisis, like even the uh, Ohio train derailment, people are displaced from that. They could use a tool like this and it could do so much more than just providing shelter. Like um, there's therapists that want to contribute trauma support. There's lawyers that want to contribute pro bono asylum paperwork support. There's uh, even like math and English tutors that want to like continue the education of a refugee or something. There's, there's so much um, there. I mean, like whenever crisis strikes, people usually want to help, but all you can really do as a citizen these days is like donate money to some random organization or sign a useless petition or fly across the world and volunteer in person. But that's like unrealistic for most people, but plenty of people have extra space in their homes. Or again, there may be a lawyer that has all these skills um, and providing a a platform for them to advertise those skills and working on the distribution so that when crisis strikes, people know that this is a tool that exists. Mm. Um, I think it will be incredible for humanity. I mean, the Ukrainian site housed over a hundred thousand refugees, right? But like, that was, we had to grow that platform after the war started. We have to get all these host families. It was just annoying. But if we had like 10 times the scale of that, and now we're like a true nonprofit, we have 
the funding we need. We have the connections, advisors, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, th- these projects are only going to grow significantly in scale and professionalism. Mm. And that's just one of our projects. Like what we're trying to do at internet activism is build like a whole suite of these online humanitarian tools. So like the tool I just mentioned, the shelter stuff, that's for any situation where you might, you know, be displaced because of an earthquake, a natural disaster, you know, I mean, even a pandemic or maybe a damn asteroid hitting the earth. I have no idea. <laughs> well, if <laughs> um, an asteroid hits the earth, I... Yeah, I think we have more problems than that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's so much more. So like we're also developing this app that lets you send text messages offline for any kind of communication outage situation. So maybe you're in Puerto Rico, a hurricane comes, knocks out the cellular infrastructure. You can still communicate with first responders. They can communicate with each other too. Maybe you're in Iran and you're protesting and the government shuts the internet down. You can use a tool like this and, and still communicate. What's mm-hmm. the government going to do? Shake their fists at the sky? There's really nothing they can do. Sure. Um, no one develops tools for protesters to protest more successfully or no one develops nicely user interface design tools for like Syrian refugees. No one does this stuff at all. I mean, I know this space completely and the software that does exist is is terrible. I mean, even massive organizations like Doctors Without Borders, they don't even have like a single software engineer in their entire org. They have like an IT contractor that helps run like their website or like some random software they use. There's so much opportunity to develop tools for this space that can like truly help people. It's great. What goes into building one of these tools? Um, I'd say definitely a humanitarian first perspective, right? Um, These tools are are meant for very sensitive populations and, and very serious situations. Like you know, major protests or, or like wars and, and refugees, like these are very sensitive, vulnerable people. So it's very important that the safety and security of the users and the data you're storing and everything is kept uh, very secure, a, lo- a lot more secure than just like a regular type of program. So we make sure to try and have like all of our code audited. We're trying to make sure that in going forward, if it's not a security concern, our work is going to be open source so that mm-hmm. the community can, you know, vet it and also contribute to the code base. Um, but yeah, it's also, you know, making sure you understand the situation on the ground. So we have a team of advisors that are a mix of people from, let's say, Doctors Without Borders, Amnesty International, the Web Foundation, just all the the mix of technology and humanitarianism. Because what we're really trying to do is like bridge that gap. Like there's all these technology companies that develop amazing things, like even OpenAI, they release all these AI tools. Um, and then the humanitarian world, they don't even know how to use the internet. You expect them to know how to use ChatGPT? Not at all. But like right now we're developing some pretty cool tools for the WHO, MSF, which is Doctors Without Borders, um, all this kind of stuff, uh, like making um, a chatbot for uh, humanitarian field workers that are like on the field somewhere. And like maybe they have a question about the ethical guidelines of things or just questions about stuff. And right now what they're expected to do is like go through these 500 page long PDFs that explain all this stuff. But like no one's going to read that, especially when you're in a, a you know emergency situation. But a chatbot... Um, trained on this stuff with like, let's say open AI's embeddings tech, right? You can, you can kind of talk to these documents and get the information you need instantly in a conversational way. Um, and, and that's a super, super useful thing for these orgs. And one thing we're developing as well. And so how many people are on the team right now? We just hired one more person. Um, but, uh, so just six of us, one of our team members got deported. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, what? Just <laughs> they're Canadian and they came here without like a work <laughs> visa. So that was kind of an issue, but, um, yeah, so about about five, six of us, we're all working just here in San Francisco, and it's pretty fun. We, we keep things very frugal. Like, I think something that is extremely important about what we're creating here is how cheap it is. The Ukrainian platform, we house over 100,000 people, right? Costs us less than $10,000, right? That's yeah. insane. Wow. That's and and that was developed, um, you know, prior to us being registered as a 501c3 nonprofit. So 
now that we are, these tools are even cheaper to use. Like there's, there's plenty of great free hosting resources for nonprofits. Uh, I mean, the coronavirus website too, a Cloudflare helped support us with like an unlimited hosting account. Mm. So we, we had like over 36 million daily active users, didn't pay a single penny for it. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. Um, so our organization is extremely cost effective, probably the most cost effective humanitarian org that has ever existed. Mm. So one thing that's interesting that you might know that a lot of people won't is when it comes to the, like the registering a nonprofit side of things, or even like the legal structure, when you're going about building a project that is engineering focused, but it's also a nonprofit. What was the, why would you go that route versus just like normal LLC? Why are we a nonprofit? So none of these tools are making money at all. And I don't think money should be involved in any of these platforms. Like we're making tools for Syrian refugees to like get housed. Like that's not something that should be monetized at all. It should be kept under a nonprofit. I think the incentives of the people working there are more aligned with like the true vision and like actually wanting to help people. Um, and it keeps things focused, but also the optics of it, of course. Like if we're a US-based for-profit company <laughs> making tools for Syrian refugees, that's a very bad look. Sure. Not just, I mean, like, like think about it. If you're a Syrian refugee, you, you're going to trust like some US thing like that? Sure. We're, we're yeah. more positioned to be like an international NGO than like, you know, a US-based for-profit company, right? Interesting. And then when you hire these engineers kind of on like a full-time basis, they're all just salaried? Uh, for now, yeah. I mean, we, we don't have like that much funding yet. We're still working on What's but, the profit? Uh, what's the process of raising that funding? Because I'm sure you'd have no problem. It's, it's honestly very hard. I mean, it's it's easy when you're in front of the right people, but getting in front of the right people can be hard sometimes. So like, it's it's a long process because like I'm building, right? I'm, I'm focused on that. Yeah. And fundraising takes up all your time. I mean, there are, there are people out there that they fundraise and they don't actually build anything. I'm trying to build all the time. And then fundraising is like something that comes second mm. when it's kind of like, it's hard to do both, but we're applying to Y Combinator right now. I'm, I'm pretty confident we'll be able to get into the next batch. So that'll be pretty useful. Um, we, we have a bit of funding right now. It's still like in the works, like a lot of grants, a lot of private donors that kind of believe in what we're doing, things like that. It, it comes slow because with nonprofit funding, it's, it's much more focused on relationship building and, you know, empathy and, and whatnot and like impact statements. Um, whereas if you have a startup, like you have metrics and an uh, investor just gives you money to increase those metrics so they can make money back. And that, that's it. You don't even really need a call sometimes, right? You just have like a pitch deck. That's it. Sure. There's not a pitch deck in the nonprofit world. Mm. So if it, I was, it's mostly like focused on like stories, right? Like stories from the perspective of maybe like a Ukrainian refugee that used our tool, things like that. If I was raising money for a startup, I'd go to like Founders Inc. or A16Z. If you're raising yeah. money for a nonprofit, who do you go to? There's a lot of foundations out there. So like, let's say Eric Schmidt, like the founder of Google, he's got a foundation called Schmidt Futures. That's pretty useful. But uh, foundations are, are very slow and take a very long time. They have usually a lot of demands of like how your organization is structured and like what you focus on. So the, the best option is really private donors that have a philanthropic history, but those are pretty hard to find mm -hmm. as well. Um, which is because these guys are like very busy, like getting a meeting with them. You, just, you need like warm intros. You don't just like email a foundation. Right. Like they'll never respond to you. You need like warm intros. The space is all about introductions like that. Um, they, they don't really like come to you, to be honest. Like you, you really have to go to them. There's also a lot of family foundations. So just like some rich dude, you know, has a foundation in his name. And just like donates money, right? Sure. So that's pretty useful. A lot of companies have like a philanthropic wing if they're if they're pretty big. Also, I have no idea how to say that word. Feel like philanthropic, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's very hard. There's a lot of like weird sources of uh, funding. But at the end of the day, like if you're a five hundred one c three nonprofit, if you donate to us, it, it's a charity, right? So it's yeah, tax deductible. Enough. Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, like cut the bullshit. It's really just like people want to save money on their taxes, and sure. that's why they have a foundation under their name, mm. right? So you just gotta know that and play on that. So then what does your day-to-day -day look like? You say you're building and you're not trying to like spend too much time raising. I mean, 
it's, it's a mix. Like there's always new projects happening. There, there's things like this I'm doing right now. I mean, it's, it's just a mix. My schedule is like extremely packed. Um, cause, cause a lot of the fundraising takes time. You don't just like go up to some dude and be like, Hey, give me money. Like it, it takes time. You have a lunch with it. And then a couple weeks later you have lunch again, a couple weeks after that you have lunch again. And over time and you like ask them slowly to like, would you, you know, like to really contribute to us? Um, applying for grants is, is a very involved long process. It takes time and it's really annoying. You know, with the startup, you just you have some stupid like Google Doc idea, and you, I'm sorry, <laughs> you get funding very yeah. fast. Um, all my friends are founders. Like, I know how the I know how the space works. Yeah, like nonprofits, they don't just like hand you money. You have to really work for it, and, and you need you need like I I don't know how I would raise for internet activism if I didn't have my past like projects with like real successful metrics. Like, it would be impossible to mm. be honest. Mm. How much are you trying to raise? Really, not that much. Like, we're trying to raise like three hundred thousand dollars right now just to be like default alive, right? just like to pay salaries, to pay miscellaneous fees, which is like really nothing. It's not, it's nothing like, uh, we're, we're getting there. Like we just had one company commit $10,000 a month to us, which is 120 K a year. So that's, that's pretty solid. Um, but, but yeah, like we're really not trying to raise, I mean, of course, like as a president of like a nonprofit, like I'm always fundraising, you never like take a break, but we're trying to do like a round of nonprofit fundraising, which is 300 grand and just get that, which would be like, default alive position for us. Mm. Default alive for how long? That would be like a year. But I mean, of course, like I'm going to try and raise a lot more than that. Like if we can raise 300 grand outside of YC, that would be super helpful. And mm -hmm. then we go through YC. It's also such a hack to go through YC as a nonprofit because like you get all the benefits, but they don't take equity. You're a they nonprofit. Don't. It's a grant. Oh, right. No. Uh, so yeah. I think their current funding is like $500,000, I believe. So it's, that's a grant. That's a shit ton of money. That'd be yeah. super helpful for us. Um, I, I hope we get into the next batch. I hope you do. I didn't know. Well, I didn't know YC did nonprofit batches. They very rarely do. I okay. mean, they, they, it's not a nonprofit batch. You're just you're in the batch. Like you're in demo day and sure. all that kind of stuff. You just so happen to be a nonprofit. Mm. Uh, it's pretty rare. I mean, there's not really that many nonprofits in the tech world at all, right? So especially ones that like actually do stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I'm just saying. Well, I, I feel I feel kind of like sketchy sometimes even saying nonprofit. It's always very associated in my mind of like high schoolers working on stupid stuff to like, you know, boost their college application. I mean, come on, like at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah. like it, it's, it's kind of hard cause like we're a nonprofit and we're like kind of like actually do stuff to be honest. Right. Um, but when you just say nonprofit, like people just have a negative connotation in their mind mm. to be honest. So maybe the better word to say is well, international NGO. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we're at that level yet. But. Yeah. Okay. And what does it take to get to that level? I mean, technically any nonprofit that operates on global scale issues is an NGO. Sure. So like, like we technically are an NGO, but I feel like people usually think that's a much larger scale organization, which we do hope to become yeah. soon enough. And this is something you'd want to work, work on for the next 10 years? Forever. This is like the coolest shit ever. Like, so it's is, very, it's very fulfilling to work on these tools, right? Mm. Like the stories I get from refugees and host families that like successfully use, let's say the Ukrainian platform, I mean, these tools are like changing people's lives. Like the very basic stuff you need to live a full life is like shelter. Then you can enroll your kids in school. You can settle into a new location. Um, you know, you, you can get a job. You can just live a full life and you can contribute to society. And like being able to do that and also allow generations of family to live on, I think is an incredible thing. Um, completely forgot the question, but like, yeah, oh, it's just cool stuff. It's, it's yeah. very fulfilling. And like, you feel very proud of the work you're working on when you're doing this stuff. So yeah. In 10 years, what do you want internet activism to look like? the largest humanitarian nonprofit in the digital space. I mean, there's not really many others, but like there's, there's, I want to have this global suite of like these permanent web-based humanitarian tools 
like really be something that everybody has. Like everyone has a garage that they fill with emergency prepper type stuff, right? But everyone's also got a smartphone and you carry that with you everywhere you go. Mm. What you want to do is kind of converge all these tools into maybe one website, one app that's just like, you know, a modern day emergency toolkit that you carry with you wherever you go. There's always going to be a crisis that strikes, you know, even if you're here in like, uh, where are we in San Francisco, like an earthquake, they always talk about like the big one, right? Yeah. The earthquake. Yeah. That could happen anytime. You could really, you know, use these humanitarian tools really effectively. Um, it's not, it's not just people in like Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan, et cetera, that could use a tool like this. Mm. could be, you know, you guys one day. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, what are some of the projects you guys have running right now? Like what are all of the projects you guys have running right now? So we have takeshelter.org, which is right now focused on the Turkey Syria earthquake. But again, we hope to kind of recode that. Um, cause like we very quickly reskinned the Ukrainian site to turn this into that, like 72 hours after the earthquake hit. Um, but that's, that's what we want to turn into just like a, permanent infrastructure humanitarian tool. We also have uh, the chatbot stuff for humanitarian organizations. We're also working on the messaging app, Hyperlocal. Um, that, that'll be really cool. That's one of our main like big projects. Um, what else are we working on? Probably like the primary stuff. Yeah. I mean, okay. you, gotta, you gotta be focused. I only have a team of like six, right? That's what I'm saying. You guys have so many prob- uh, projects, but there's... Right, but that's a cool thing though with tech is, you, I mean, like we can really have a pretty small team and still like, you know, move very fast. I think people that hire like way too many people, is just kind of stupid. Like if you just have like a few 10 X engineers, I mean, it's like the dream, right? But like you can just move fast. I think we got a good team. Yeah. It feels like a lot of your team is like kind of the same age as you, very younger. Everyone in our group is like 19 to 21. 19 to 21. Yeah, I'd say. And then what's your process for hiring and deciding who actually gets onto the team? Uh, it's very much a case by case basis, to be honest. Like we don't, we're not really like actively hiring. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like if someone is in the city and they're committed full time and like they believe in the vision, then sure. I mean, if they have a specific project they can work on and like they don't really need to be paid like a very competitive salary right now, like there's definitely work to be done. Um, but I mean, over time, like once we get like actual funding, we'll like really be in a proper hiring phase and we'll scale things up and whatnot. But uh, we're pretty early still. It's also just like people, it's very important that the people that we bring onto internet activism are prepared for massive publicity and pressure. And like, because again, like these tools are like hyperlocal. Mm-hmm. It could potentially like allow people to succeed with their revolutions and stuff. Like protests really succeed when you're able to organize, right? Um, you're able to, you know, or organize protests, share critical information with each other. And like, that's what the government hopes to prevent by like shutting the internet off and disabling tools like WhatsApp and Telegram. But like our tool, like Hyperlocal, uh, I mean, that works through Bluetooth. Like it's just, it's a mesh network. Like there's nothing you can really do about that. Like apparently in Hong Kong, they like tried to stop, you know, people trying to do these mesh network stuff with yeah. like $18 million like vehicles that would prevent it in the like, small range. But like, we're working on things like this little sticker and you can like slap around. It's got a little solar panel on it and like just emits like a Bluetooth little thing. It's just like a node in the network or mm-hmm. there's like this thing called mesh tastic, which is just like a little like board and you have like an antenna on it that emits like a, a Bluetooth, you know, thing as well. We, I mean, we could fly like a drone overhead with a Bluetooth thing on it. Like what our app also works with like store and forward. So you can like collect messages and like hold it on your phone and then maybe you'll get connected to the network and like disperse that message like to the right person over yeah. time. Like, it doesn't have to be a direct connection. Uh, I mean, th- there's so much cool stuff we're doing with that. We're working with all the people that have worked on this tech in the past, like FireChat founders. They're also based in Shack 15, mm. um, Bridgeify, like all, all the all the big leaders in this. We just had someone with like a PhD in mesh networking at our office the other day. Like, we know what we're doing with this tech and it's going to be awesome. Mm. It works like cross-platform too, like iPhone, Android or all that kind of stuff. Like, 
this tech is, is going to cause revolutions. Like I'm super excited. It's going to be so much fun. We're like arming the rebels. <laughs> you said this is going to cause revolutions. I'm so excited. This is going to be so much yeah, fun. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's not fun. I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it's cool to uh, give people tools to enact real change in the world. Um, you're not, we're not making like Lego websites here. We're making tools for like Iranian protesters to like protest successfully mm. and securely and safely. Right. Nobody builds those kinds of tools. No, especially not with like a nice user interface and like modern, True. you know, Fang level engineers. Like we're, we're building things with like modern frameworks, like Next.js and, yeah. you know, Vercel, things like that. Like, like just modern thing. Most like government and humanitarian software is trash to True. be honest. Right. So let's talk about engineering workflow. Cause that's interesting to me for you guys, for you guys to have so many different projects and such a small team. What is it? It's like linear, like, yeah. I mean, like, again, we're like, we're based in San Francisco. We're almost like a, a startup, right? We're using linear, we're using Slack. I got the whole stuff going on. Uh, yeah. I mean, keep, keeping things pretty simple. I hate having like 50,000 SaaS tools, but you know, we're also using like rippling and it's, it's like all the benefits of the tech world and the tech startup space apply to the humanitarian world. Mm. Nobody does that. That's true. It's great. And so you mentioned everyone on the team is between 19 and 21. Yeah, everyone's just kind of like taking leave of college. Um, I used to be at Harvard like a year or two ago. I don't really remember how long, just like a semester and just distract. And why would I pay $37,000 a semester to be like stuck in one city working on like math homework all day when I could be like here in San Francisco working on like the coolest stuff with the coolest people like here, this is so cool. Yeah. I think I want to be in math class right now. No, I'd much rather be here at Founders Inc. Like it's way cooler. Okay, so you mentioned Harvard. Yeah. You were there for one semester? Yeah. And then what made you leave? Like what, what was the realization to where you were like, because everyone yeah. says I'd much rather be in like SF, I'd much rather be doing a million things, right. but you actually did it. I, I just do things. Like there's no time to lose. Like you see all these advancements, but we're like building an asteroid flying towards us right now with all this AI development. I mean, the world's changing. Um, being here in SF is like the pulse of like the world of innovation. Like why would I just want to sit in school and watch it go by? Like I want to be a part of that. And I am a part of that. I can't just like sit by and watch things. I'm not a bystander. It's boring. Why, why, why would I choose a more boring thing over the more fun thing? Yeah. This is way more fun. I mean, come yeah. on, like we're, we're like building the future here. Everyone always talks about it all the time. But like, if you really think about it, like there's so many people on this planet, there's 8 billion fucking people. And like most people are not doing anything here. We're like doing stuff. It's cool. I mean, it's definitely like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's exciting to be here. The, the, you know, you see like open AI, they have like huge developments. It's just like a few blocks away from like where we're living. Mm. It's cool. Uh, you can just like walk on over to their office and like, I mean, the people here, they're founding startups that hopefully most people actually use like day to day. And so you talk about um, this, we're building an asteroid heading towards us with the AI developments. So you <laughs> oh, mentioned totally. open AI. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely going to kill us all eventually, but I mean, I'm going to kill us all. I think my view on it is it's just going to change things so much that the world we're used to living in is just going to be so fundamentally different. And I like the world that we're in right now. And I like you know, it's like uh, the concept of climate change, maybe like destroying all the forests. So like, why not go view the forest now while they still exist? Mm. So like, I try and just like experience a lot of things that are in the world. Like there's so much more to life than just tech startups. There's, there's jumping, like, you know, flying airplanes and helicopters and jumping out of them too. And like, there's all kinds of stuff to do in the world. Yeah. You ever been skydiving? Of course. Oh, I, I, try and, I try and just do as many things you can possibly do in nature. The first time I went surfing in Portugal a few months ago and I took a break and sat on my surfboard and like watched the waves and like, I could not think mm. like it was just, I was never so Zen in my whole life. It was an incredible feeling. And it's just cool to like find new things out there. Like before mm. the world gets destroyed or I mean, even if it doesn't, I don't know who cares. Just like, there's no time to lose. When I die, re we're going to be at the immediate end of reality in the short bubble of consciousness that I'm alive. I don't want to be working on anything. I'm not super passionate about if I have the opportunity to choose, I work on exactly what I want to work on. And I recommend everyone do the same thing too. If you want to write that book or, you know, work on that startup or anything like that. There's no time to lose. More people should be taking risks. 
Um, it, it's great. If you had a if you had a year left to live, what would you be doing every day? Exactly this. I mean, like, what what else is there to be doing? I'm I'm working on the coolest, most amazing stuff, surrounded by the most amazing people, and like the coolest parts of the world. And I travel a lot too. I go see all kinds of places. I wouldn't be doing it if I had a hundred million dollars right now. I would just fund internet activism. Mm. Like, there's there's nothing I'm doing that would change if I was a billionaire, except not having to fundraise all the time. <laughs> I'm only twenty. I don't have like a wife and kids or much responsibilities. Like, I don't really need that much funding wise. Too all I spend money on are like economy plane tickets, Lego sets, pizzas. Like really not that much. Lego sets? Yeah, of course. What's your favorite one? It's great design. You know, like uh, I think what's great about Lego is um, they combine like. Uh, beautiful design with like the structural integrity of things. Uh, it's like, like for example, I had this Lego set I bought like this Moss Eisley thing from Star Wars and like they have these chimneys, but like, they, they look, 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 they look like chimneys, but then they're also functioning as a thing that pull up the roof. Um, like you use the chimney to pull up the roof so you can like mess with the shit inside the interior. Like, that's like such, that's the kind of design I'm interested in. It's like practical, but beautiful design. Um, most of the shit you see on dribble is like the complete opposite of that, right? Like I'm very passionate about, uh, you know, yeah, just designing beautiful, but also useful things like, mo yeah, it's cool. Things should be well designed. Like I try and I spent, you have no idea how much time I spent. Like every single slide deck should appear in the Guggenheim one day. The thought <laughs> process I have, um, there, there's no, there's no time to waste. Like designing boring, ugly shit. Like I'm yeah. working on what I'm passionate about and I'm going to put that into every tiny detail of what I'm doing. You know, like everything from the, the, the logo to the landing page has to be pixel perfect. Um, because why, why, why not? Mm. If, if, you know, if you can do that on a timely matter, um, go for it. Like there's, there's no time to waste doing ugly things. Mm. How do you know when something's ugly versus when it's like properly designed? I don't know. You just look at it. Like <laughs> I can tell you, you build up like an eye for design over time. Um, once you do that too, you kind of look at a lot of things and realize, oh, that's pretty ugly. But um, there's, there's just, you just design things every single day or you kind of view everything. Like if you just look around this room, like everything's designed here from the way the camera lens looks to the screen over there to the, you know, packaging of all that stuff. There's design in this every, every little tiny square corner of this place. Yeah. You just look at the world like that and you just kind of pick up like looking at that thing over there and how that's framed in the middle and the padding and the different font sizes and all that kind of stuff. And you just look at that and you apply that to all aspects of your life. You know, even if you're designing like the packaging for a surfboard or something, the same general concept stick, um, if you had to give someone advice on de like developing that eye, how would you do it? I mean, I would just say like also, uh, the biggest thing in professional design is just padding. Like uh, my biggest pet peeves <laughs> is like when I look at people's websites or mm. like user interfaces, they don't have enough padding on things like buttons and stuff. Yeah. It's ugly. They make things smaller and more padding and more white space will just make your design a thousand times better. I'm not an expert designer at all. I'm not going to try and sound like I am. I, I have a big uh, belief in having like a beginner's mind to everything. And I'm always learning with this stuff. Um, you just learn through experience. Like you, I hate watching YouTube videos and doing stuff. That's why like when I was mentioning earlier about making entire projects to learn web individual web development skills, like that's how you really learn things, right? Not just making the same to-do list everyone does. Like the project I made before that, I wanted to learn how to use an API. I noticed NASA has these like APIs for like weather data on Mars. So I built like an entire modern weather application based on that Mars weather data. And like, that's how you learn how to use these tools. Um, you just learn by asking questions on Google, things like that, right? Mm. What's something you're trying to learn right now that you haven't? How to fundraise. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> especially in the nonprofit world. Like I've been talking to a lot of people that are experienced in this space. Like uh, just yesterday I was on the phone with the founder of the first nonprofit that ever went through YC. Which one? Watsi. Um, just, uh, 
medical humanitarian stuff, gotcha. I think. Um, more so just like understanding his, like what YC really will give you as a nonprofit, things like that, um, how that process goes. But uh, it, it's a very like deep world, the whole nonprofit space. Mm. Like it's just funding. And again, it's all built on relationships and that takes a while to develop. And so just learning like, you know, how, it's, it's a lot like how to talk to people, how to pitch to people, all this kind of stuff. It, it takes time. Um, and again, the only way you can actually do that is just go to like random founder mixers and pictures, pitch your stuff and yeah. learn what works and that's it. What's your one liner if someone, if you go up to someone at an event? Peace through code. No, it's just like our mission statement. <laughs> I never said that to someone like at a pitch, but uh, I think that's a cool mission statement for internet activism. That just Peace comes to code. my mind. Peace through code. Mm. I think it fulfills like our ultimate mission. Like why, why do you ever do all this stuff? It's to eventually to have peace so that people can work on what they really want to work on. But do you think you'll actually ever get peace? Because I feel like a lot of people will do try. what they think and then they still don't end up with it. Might as well try. I mean, probably not going to really ever get there. I'm sure we'll kill each other soon enough. But like... Like us two specifically, right? Not yeah, right now. Right, okay, now, right okay. now. Like in five minutes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Right after this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there's just, I don't know. I, there's no time to lose to worry about this kind of stuff. Just work on things that are interesting. Would you say you're happy? Yeah, I'd say so. Define happy. Define happy. Not being sad. What, actually, uh, honestly, like ever since I've been here in SF, I've been so busy and so motivated and like working on what I really want to work on. I like have never been this happy in my whole life. Like I'm just doing what I want to do surrounded mm -hmm. by people that also want to do what they want to do. And like, I just moved to the Solaris community, um, in oh, SF. Nice. Right. So like Tom and Will and all these other cool guys, they're like very ambitious, super driven people. And like, I want to be surrounded by that. And it's just, it's a whole environment. Um, it's extremely motivating. Again, I feel like I'm in the best place. I could live in any city in the world. I chose SF because like, this is where it is. This is the best city in the entire world to grow your startup or organization still is. And will always be It's cool stuff here. Also, like, I think people think about these things way too much. Um, there's this quote from Dune that changed my life. Uh, the mystery of life is not a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. Mm. It's a great quote. Um, and ever since I thought about that, like completely changed my perspective on things. Like people, people think too much, about questions that don't have a good answer and they let that stress them out. I think it's like cool to think about these every once in a while, but people that just sit in their room staring at the ceiling, like, you know, trying to answer a question that can't really be answered by our stupid meatbag brains. Like is just not uh, a worthy endeavor for the most part, to be honest. Um, you know, we're living right. This is the meaning of life right now. Just like living and, and talking and doing things just like existing, really just reality existing at all. Um, this is, this is life. There's not really much more to it. Don't really people overthink everything even design on websites. <laughs> padding. That, yeah, that'll padding. change everything. Padding and typography is all you need. Yes, like he said, no, everyone overthinks everything, but padding, that's a solution. Yes. Padding is a solution to the meaning of life. And Lego sets. And Lego sets. Right. Specifically the Moss Eisley set. That was good shit. Specifically that one. It's, you know, the, the, you can learn design in, in the most random everyday things. Even Lego. Lego is a master at design. So is, I don't know, the people making these cameras. They've been making these cameras for so long. You can look at the way they do that and just learn something from it. Or you don't have to really look at design things. Just like, I don't know, psychology classes will help you with stuff or looking at colors of this stupid painting will like teach you <laughs> about what colors work well together. There's something to learn from everything. And you never know when some random thing you do will like randomly applied in some conversation later um, and completely change the course of your life or something. Mm. There's, some, there's something to learn from everything. What's the most random thing you've ever learned then? The most random thing I've ever that learned? That actually ended up being useful. <laughs> It's very hard to think about on the spot. Like but a lot of these things just kind of come. I, I think that the biggest thing I try and do is put myself in a position where 
these opportunities and things to learn like are presented to you. So like constantly going to events, going to cities like this where things are actually happening, you know, going downtown, going to podcasts like this, going around Founders Inc., like putting yourself in places where you can catch as many butterfly effects as possible. Right? Where, where did you live before SF? Earth. I've lived in so many places. I have four citizenships. It's really weird. Like I've lived in six countries or so. I wouldn't say like grew up anywhere. Just say planet Earth. So, I mean, I was in Seattle before I came here, but like, I wouldn't say it's like my home home. I've lived like all over. So it's not, I used to live in California. I was born in LA. You were born in LA. Yeah. But when I was two months old, I moved to London. Like I've been in so many places that it's not like I went to a different elementary school for like every year of school. Wow, so okay. just, I don't know, spies. My mom is a spy. Joking. She's a, she was studying medical school and you can travel for that. Go to different medical schools mm. in different countries, take a break from that, go back to California I have no idea. I was pretty young. Yeah, okay. What do you think your childhood was like? Do you think back of it fondly or do you think it just happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like definitely led up to where we are now. I mean, same with all of you guys. I just used to be much more into computers, but like I, I honestly suck at coding and I kind of hate coding too. It's not really like my thing. It's just like, I want to create things and coding is just a medium I'm very comfortable with. Just, I understand computers and how to navigate them very well. Um, like I, I don't know how to draw a circle, but I can code a circle. That's uh, just the way I look at it. It's, mm. it's, I mean, I view all this stuff as art. I like to view everything as art. Um, and these projects are, are really, I, that's why I just like when people use my stuff and especially if it has like a real use to it, like these humanitarian projects are so cool because people actually use them. Mm. Like they have a real impact and they, they really do like change the world. Um, you know, imagine uh, one of these family members, um, whose lives were saved through the Ukrainian project. Maybe they'll go on and work at OpenAI and invent GPT-5. Like, I have no idea. It's just um, allowing that to happen in the first place is an incredible thing. And, uh, you know, everyone talks about, I, I'm a huge technology accelerator. You know, we're building this asteroid. We should build it faster at this point, to be honest. Oh, and like, on. I don't know. And, uh, and working on these projects will kind of accelerate that in a way. There's plenty of machine learning engineers that were Ukrainian refugees. So you're actually not worried about like any of the AI stuff, any of like the AGI taking over? I am worried. Us. I just like, don't really care that much. Like, just I just... Uh, if it'll it'll happen eventually, so accelerate it and see what happens after. Mm. I mean, we'll just become consciousness orbs floating around the universe in a few hundred years, anyways, <laughs> or probably sooner than that. My AGI timelines are extremely short. Look at all the ChatGPT was released in fucking November of last year. Look True. where we are now already. It's crazy. What's going to happen by the end of this year or the next year after that? Most True. of humanity is going to be like honestly not even really needed once we have like AR everywhere. Most consumer goods can just be simulated. Why do we need most of the people important into the supply chain? It's going to happen then. It's mm. going to be so, shit's already so weird. I mean. Do you ever think the, the value of money will just disintegrate? Like will just not be there anymore? It already is. doesn't exist. Mm. Money's just a tool to do other things. And if you can do other things already, then I don't really need money. Like, okay. But like, how do you buy a sandwich? I mean, yeah. Okay. You need money to buy a sandwich, right? But if you have a sandwich already, like trying to describe this in a way like, um, I don't really chase money that much right now. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to fundraise for my nonprofit, but like, that's really not that much. And that's not like my own money. Like, I'm just trying to do what I want to do. And if I'm able to do that, there's no need to have millions of dollars. Like it'd be kind of boring that way. Okay. I want to, I want to hit you with a rapid fire section that we do towards the end of our podcast. Okay. First thing is what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received. I have no idea to, to be, I mean, uh, what do you want me to come up with like a Steve Jobs quote or something? Anything like, that's not a Steve Jobs quote. The Dune quote. The mystery of life is not a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. Changed my life more than any piece of text I've ever read. 
why did it change your life so much? Because I think it's an important thing that people always think about. It's like the meaning of life and all these kinds of things. And I, I've done enough psychedelics and read enough Dune books that I feel like I have achieved the knowledge of, of really that kind of stuff. And I don't really like need to search it really anymore. Like I feel like I just kind of deep down like achieved what I wanted to achieve by doing those kinds of things. And I just have a, a good mindset of reality and I'm very happy with it. And I, I'd say I'm a happy person. Like I don't need to constantly be thinking about these things at all. Like it's just, it's the meaning of life is in your face at all times. People just like overthink it way too much, but it's like, it's right there. Interesting. And then what's the worst advice you ever received? Worst advice? Also can't be a Steve Jobs quote. Don't worry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be one of those guys. Um, I don't know. Worst advice? Kind of hard to think of these things on the spot. I, I don't know. I had like a stupid teacher in fifth grade. I remember who would like, I was a terrible student. Like I dropped out of high school. Like I, I was not a good student ever. I'd like, how do you drop out of high school and get into Harvard? Magic. Like actually <laughs> coronavirus website. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but I was always a terrible student. Like even in high school, I was in physics class and I'd be like failing physics, but then I'd win my school science fair for a physics based project. So maybe if my parents popped me full of Adderall, I'd actually be a good student. But honestly, if I was a good student, I would not be in this room right now. So mm -hmm. it's not really that important. Like I don't even know how to factor. Okay. I don't like math, like algebra wise. Like I'm up to like polynomials maybe, but it's like really not a, like I've, I've, I think the main reason why they teach you those things is so that you can think abstractly. Um, but like I already learned how to think abstractly, so I don't really like need to know complex algebra right now. Like sure, one day it'd be nice to like sit down when I'm 80 years old and not busy with other things and like learn calculus. Sure. I'd love to do that one day. I'm not one of those people that are like, oh, we'll never use it type of stuff. But it's like, you're not really using the quadratic formula day to day. You, know, you really aren't, okay? Unless you're like a NASA scientist or working on like AI shit or whatever, like you're really not. Um, I don't need to spend my time doing that. Um, yeah, completely forgot the questions. Bad, bad advice. Uh, I don't know. Stay That's in great teacher. Stay in sure. school. All right. <laughs> and then what's the one thing you can't live without a physical item? Don't say your laptop. My phone. I hate Come my on. phone. One thing I can't live without. Um, friends, probably. I'm a very social person. I just like hanging out with friends. Like I know on my deathbed, I'm going to look back at my life and be like, always wanting to have hung out with friends more and more and good relationships with family and everything. That's what makes you the happiest, truly not like chasing more monetary things or anything like that. Like I just, I maximize for like not maximizing my life and just like hanging out with friends and, you know, doing all those kinds of stuff. Like fuck VC meetings. I'd much rather hang out with like a girl I liked or something like that. It's far more important. It makes you way happier and way more fulfilled. And like, that's truly what life is about. Um, Who are your friends when you said that you're thinking about people? Everybody. Who are your actual friends that you like hanging out with? My coworkers are pretty awesome at internet activism. I've got friends back at home. I've got friends all over the city. Uh, Ivan Prolo, he's a great friend of mine. Kevin, he's a good friend. Uh, Alex Reedman, uh, you guys. Um, just uh, Shaq15 guys, they're really cool. Everybody, I mean, there's some people that are just dicks, but then like nobody's friends with them. Um, but like, there's just, there's there's no time to That's waste, like being, being just uh, a terrible person. Mm. Um, there, there's no time. I don't want to work. I, I play the long-term game with all this stuff. Like with all those COVID websites, there were no ads on it. Like I turned down offers for millions of dollars for all that kind of stuff. There, I got offers from like very sketchy Chinese mask and vaccine manufacturers. Like put a link to our storefront on your homepage. We'll pay you like $100,000 right now. But like if I'd done that kind of stuff, I would never have won awards like the 2020 Webby Person of the Year Award for like creating like the best website on the internet of the year. Like I would not have won things like that. I would not be able to, you know, have my ethics part of my reputation and why I'm working on internet activism now and be able to get funding for that. You know, you got to play the long-term game and like being like a, a snaky, terrible person. 
um, will not get you far at all. Maybe it'll help you in the short term, sure, manipulating people all the time and being like an asshole. But like long term, you're going to have no friends and you're not going to feel proud about the work you've done. Like I'm a, I'm a big believer in if you help other people like, you know, grow up, uh, they'll help you up as well. Mm. Um, and it's just a win-win game. There's not like, I, I don't really get why people don't see it that way. They're just like way too up in their own little worlds and stuff. Um, when uh, there's, there's much more alpha and just being friends with everyone. How would you want to be remembered? And being an optimist die? too. Like people that are pessimists are stupid in my opinion. Like you, sure, it's like good to be realistic or whatever, but being like an optimistic, friendly person will get you way further in life than being like a manipulative, like Slytherin type of person. Mm. Slytherin? I never watched Harry Potter or anything, but like I know that- You people, never watched it, but you pulled it- I played the video game though. It was a great game, like half of it. You're talking like, about Dune, you're talking about like books and- like Yeah, because I, like, I would Harry much Potter. rather learn business from like reading or like learn how to be like a leader by watching like Batman and shit like that than like reading business books. That's the stuff that like is the true like concepts of leadership and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like reading Dune is, is a great way to learn about leadership in some way. I mean, Dune is kind of about the falls of like a, a charismatic leader, but, um, <laughs> but like, it's good to learn that stuff. Like that's where you can learn those things. Yeah. Um, not by reading stupid business. I mean, sure there's stuff to learn in those, but those are boring. No one wants to actually read those. Read like the Watchmen and you'll learn like plenty about philosophy and life instead of just reading like actual philosophy textbooks. What's the best book you've ever read then apart from Dune and Watchmen? I was about to say one of those. <laughs> v for Vendetta. What's it about? It's uh, super cool. Like, uh, you know, like those like anonymous masks. Yeah. It's all about like Guy Fawkes Day, which is about like a guy that tried to blow up the parliament yeah. uh, on like November 5th. So there's like this thing like, remember, remember the 5th of November. And I was actually in London a few months ago during November 5th and they have like a fireworks display. It's really cool. That's sick. But like, what a base dude trying to blow up the government. Like that is so cool. In okay, fact, like about that. here's also something cool. Like I think it's great to be able to, this is going to get very sidetracked here, but like, um, I think it's great that like, you can, like, you can like blow up anything you look at. Like it's, no one's really like preventing you from doing like terrible things. Like any of us could kill each other in this room right now. Like there's no government brain chip in our heads, like not letting us actually commit crimes. Um, I, I'm a big believer in all that kind of stuff. Like I, I would fight for the right to kill myself, you know, mm. that kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's great that like we have the ability to act on our free will. Um, not just like think about things and not actually be able to do them. Like you can really do honestly anything. It's a great movie too. Yeah. Phenomenal. The movie, the movie's pretty good, but the comic I'm telling you is so much better. Yeah. It's, it's a great story. Actually the, the birth date for internet activism on Twitter is November 5th. So <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. It's good stuff. Okay, my last question. Don't say anything about blowing anything up. If there's one thing you want to be remembered for, what is it? Allowing far more people to be remembered because generations of family were able to live on because of the work we're doing at internet activism. That's amazing. And that'd be pretty cool. That's dope. And then, yeah. Where can sure. people find you online? What what sites do you want to plug? Uh, mostly Twitter, really. It's just at Avi Schiffman or Internet Activism. We're just really the only things that matter. Fire. Any last words? Any last words? <laughs> Shit, maybe you are going to kill me. Maybe. Um, I would just like really deeply think about that Dune quote. It changed my life, and I think it can change many people that are watching. I'm going to awesome. say it again because it's great. The mystery of life is not a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. And also, there's way more to life than just tech startups. That too. And, and if you focus on those aspects of life, you'll actually end up being a much better tech founder at the end of the day. We're going to end on that. Cool. Thanks for watching. Peace. Peace. <laughs>